Well, today we're going to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And there is a lot of material in the four accounts of his life that we call the Gospels in the New Testament. There's a lot of material. God wants us to really see what all was going on. So we're not going to take the hours it would take literally to read everything from all the Gospels about Jesus. But I do want to get us a really good overview. So we're going to look at an overview here that uses the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels as well to tell us about Jesus. It starts with a prophetic message about Jesus that God gave hundreds of years before in the, uh, through the prophet Isaiah. So y'all watch. That's what he did for you and me. That's what our Savior did, and that's what we're talking about today. I have a question. Have you ever wondered, so what? Why, why does that matter? That happened 
2,000 years ago. Why, why do people get excited at Easter? And why do people shout when there's a song about Jesus rising from the dead? Well, what's going on with all that? And, and why does it matter to me? I, it's 2017, over 2,000 years since that happened. What, what should it matter in my life? Well, we're going to try to answer some of those questions today. And to do that, we're going to use what some other folks said about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, okay? We're going to start with one of his disciples named Peter, and here's the scene. Jesus was crucified and then raised from the dead and hung out with the disciples. We'll look at that a little bit next week, and then he went back to the Father in heaven. And then 50 days later on the Jewish calendar, another one of those festivals came up, another feast came up. It's called Pentecost, which Pente is in five, 50 days after Passover that they just celebrated, and we talked about that last Sunday. So there are Jews from all over the Mediterranean world have come back to Jerusalem. There's already many that live there, but many more have come. And so there are literally hundreds of thousands of people crammed into Jerusalem for this special feast time. And so they're doing their thing, and they're going through their religious stuff, but then God interrupts. He just comes in an amazing, undeniable way. He poured out his spirit upon his people. All kinds of things started happening. If it had been in Texas, uh, you could say that God just stirred up a big ruckus. I mean, he just turned the city upside down. And so people who didn't know what was going on were like, what is this? What's happening with all this? And so all this turmoil is going on in the city. And Peter, Jesus' disciple, jumps up to speak to this great crowd of people, and he's going to talk to them about what Jesus has done for them just 50 days earlier. And as you're going to see, he's very bold. He doesn't mince any words or hold back at all. Let's look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 20, chapter 2, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Not holding back, is he? He's just being real, real straight, because just like the verses we said, talked about people hollering, crucify him, some of those people are there. And so he's not just being figurative, he's being literal. You, he's pointing at people who were literally there, calling out, crucify Jesus. He said, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. Peter's boldly proclaiming what's going on and what's God doing now in their stirred up city. And there's two main things to see. First off, he's being bold and telling them, hey, this was on you. But earlier, what did he say? He said, this was God's pre-planned idea. We learned from the Bible that in the mind of God, before he even said, let there be light, before he created the earth and created mankind, from the Bible, we learned that it says, in God's mind, Jesus, his son, was like a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so God had pre-planned this way, way, way before it took place. And I've thought about this a little bit, and, and I, I usually come up or come to this conclusion. Now, God knows everything, and before he even created mankind, he knew he was going to send Jesus to die. If I'm God, I'm like, 
That's okay. <laughs> Forget it. I mean, I'm not going to bother creating people if I have to send Jesus to die. But that's not, I'm not God. His heart is, he loves us. And even knowing he would send Jesus, he created us. So Jesus was the planned a plan A of God to reconcile us to him. He planned it that way. So Peter goes on with his great sermon in front of these thousands of people. And then he kind of uh, sums it up a little bit. So we're going to slide down to verse 36. In verse 36, Peter says this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So Peter is, is wrapping it up and summarizing and saying, so this Messiah that you killed, well, God has declared that he is the Lord and Messiah. Two really, really big words in their culture. Let's unpack these terms a little bit. First off, the word Lord means owner and boss. Okay, it might be one thing to own a business, but you've got a manager to run it. Well, a Lord owns it and he runs it. Okay, the, the uh, typical use we, we have of this word outside of the Bible was in medieval England. These guys would own all this land and these big farms or ranches, we'd say again in Texas. And what they did was to let these people who were pretty poor live on their property and farm it and raise crops. And then they would get a lot of the crop. And so the people living there didn't own the land. They didn't even own the crops they grew. The Lord of the manor owned everything. Well, that's kind of what the word means spiritually, too, for Jesus. And so for them to say he is Lord to the Jewish mind, they're saying, oh, wait, you're saying he's the big boss. He's the owner of me. He's God in the flesh. He's the son of God. And that's what they were hearing. And that's what God is saying to us today. That when we say, yes, Jesus, come into my life, it's an exchange. His life and forgiveness for mine back in return, saying, here I am. Whatever, God, you now are my boss, my best friend, my owner, so to speak. Now, let's look at another scripture about this word Lord, okay? Paul wrote to some folks in the city of Philippi, and he, was, he talked to them a little bit, as you'll see, about uh, the death of Jesus. But then he's going to say something else. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul is saying, that big plan God had in mind for Jesus to die, now one day the whole universe is going to recognize what Jesus did. Everyone is going to, as it were, bow the knee to honor the lordship of Jesus. Every tongue is going to confess. Everybody who's ever lived, those living today, and those who will live in the future, at one point, we're all going to bow the knee and say, yes, Jesus, you are the Lord, the owner, the master of the universe. In this last phrase of this passage, we have the title, Jesus Christ. And that word Christ means the one empowered by God. The picture is when Jesus, early in the gospel, we looked at how he went to John the Baptist to be baptized, and God's spirit came upon him, and then he started his public ministry of power and great teaching and all that stuff. Well, Christ means the empowered of God. So his title is, he is Jesus, the empowered one of God who is Lord of all, and this next word, Messiah. Let's look at Messiah for a second. Messiah means rescuer or deliverer 
or general or captain. It's someone who leads to victory. And when Peter said to the Jewish folks there, Jesus is the Messiah, in their mind, they're like, we've been looking for the Messiah for centuries. We've been looking for someone to deliver us from Roman rule. And before the Romans, there were the Babylonians. Before the Babylonians, there were the Persians. I mean, Israel had been subjugated for centuries. And they had these scriptures that talked about a Messiah coming who would deliver them. But in this trip to earth, Jesus came to deliver us spiritually. The fact that he's a rescuer means he was the rescuer from spiritual death to spiritual life in him. Jesus came to be our captain, so to speak, to lead us from death to life. We could take time now and talk about he's coming back and it's going to be a different story when he comes back. But for us right now, we can say Jesus is both our Lord and our Messiah. He's our deliverer, our rescuer from sin and death. And also just in our life, Jesus is guiding us. He's leading us like the captain of the army to good places as we follow him. Now, there's something real important Jesus said about all this. I want you to look with me here in the Gospel of John and what Jesus said about himself and his mission, okay? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is simply saying, I'm the way to the Father, and there's no other way. Now, you may think, like a lot of folks think about, well, what about other world religions? What about people who haven't heard about Jesus? I mean, is that fair? I mean, what's up with all that? And To that, I want to say that that's a good question. You're right. There are people who are in other religions or whatever, but I believe the answer is God is bigger than any religion of man. He is bigger. He can invade somebody's life and touch their life and show them that Jesus is just what we've said this morning, that he's the Lord and the Messiah. In your notes there, and we'll see it uh, up on the screen, I have a YouTube. We're not going to look at it, but I have a YouTube I want to recommend if you're interested in learning more about this kind of stuff. The man's name is Nabil Qureshi, and he gives a short testimony in this YouTube video of how he was a Muslim, but how God invaded his life and showed him that it wasn't Muhammad. It was Jesus who could be his savior. And he talked about how he was empty as a Muslim, and he just got honest and said, you know, this is just outward religion. This don't mean nothing inside of me. But then God spoke to him. It's, I believe he, uh, I, read, I looked at so many of them, uh, I, want to, I think I'm right here, that he actually had a dream. And God spoke to him, and that began his spiritual journey to God through Christ. As a Muslim in a Middle Eastern country, no missionary there preaching or nothing, but God intervening. Well, I believe God's done that millions of times in history, where millions of times he has met people. So, We want to say today that Jesus is the only way to the Father, and so I'll put it like this here. All roads to heaven go through Jesus. Somebody might start as a Muslim or a Buddhist or whatever it is, but to really get to heaven, to really have eternal life with God, they get to go through Jesus. And God does that all the time, supernaturally. We go and preach the gospel best we can all over the world, but God's Spirit goes beyond whatever we can do, and people come to Christ all the time. We talked about some whys earlier. Let's uh, look at answering a little bit of that right now. The Apostle Paul wrote to these folks in Rome, and he's talking about this sacrifice Jesus made. Let's look at it, Romans 3, 23 through 25. 
For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. So on one hand, we all fall short, we can't get to God, but God took the initiative and he allows us to freely become right with him. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is helping us understand why. Why was this necessary? We had to be made right with God. There had to be a sacrifice for sin, and God let Jesus be that. So why did he have to die? Simply put, I think there was no other way for our sin to be forgiven. No other way for our sin to be forgiven. Jesus had to die on the cross for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the whole world. Now, flip that statement over on the other side, and and I want you to think about it this way with me. If there is any other way to God than through Jesus, then God didn't necessarily have to sacrifice his son. If there are other ways to God, all roads lead to heaven. If that's true, then, then, then did God you know, make a mistake, or or why would he do that? Well, here's what I think. I think that if there was any other way, then that makes God sadistic and cruel to have ordained that his son be murdered for the sins of the world. I don't think he would have done it if it wasn't necessary by his plan. And so, why did Jesus have to die? There was just simply no other way for your sins and my sins to be forgiven. So what do you think? Are you putting your faith in Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin? Do you have a relationship with God through Christ because of what he did on the cross and the faith he put in your heart to believe that? Where are you at today? I want to tell you a quick story as you're thinking about that. There was a missionary named C.T. Studd in England. He lived in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And this guy was the J.J. Watt of England at the time. Okay, he was the big dog athlete in the country. They had that weird game over there called cricket. You know, they had that bat thing and they hit it. Millions of people watch it. It's huge in India. I mean, it's a big, big deal. I I don't get it, but I guess I haven't looked at it enough. But anyway, he was the man. He set all kind of records when he would be at bat and stuff like that. So he was raised in privilege. He was from a wealthy family. He went to the best college in the world at the time. He went to Cambridge. And so he had the world by the tail. I mean, his future was just, you know, anything. The sky's the limit. But then God called him, spoke to his heart, and said, I want you to go to Africa to be a missionary. And so he had a news conference. And imagine J.J. Watt this afternoon calling a news conference in West Virginia where the Texans are having summer camp. And he gets all the reporters around and say, guys, it's been a great run, but uh, God spoke to my heart. I'm going to be a missionary. I'm out of here. See ya. And he walks off the practice field. That's what this guy did. C.T. Studd did that, and it just rocked the British world. And so people would say, C.T., you gave up so much. I mean, your life was just going to be amazing. I mean, you had everything going for you, and you're laying it down. You're giving that up to go to Africa as a missionary. What is up with that? And C.T. answered them with this, I believe, classic statement. I want to read it to you now. C.T. Studd said this, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. 
C.T. Studd got it. He's like, all this life I've got, it's nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. This is not even a sacrifice. I mean, compared to his sacrifice, my life, whatever. And it shocked the British world, and the man made a difference. He started a mission society in Africa with some other young men who also went to Cambridge and laid it all down for Jesus. They were called the Cambridge Seven. No sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. What would your life look like if that was your attitude? What would it look like in your home if everyone in the home was saying, all for Jesus, God, after what you did for me, whatever you want is fine. What would your home be like? What would our community be like? What could the world be like if we all bowed the knee now and said yes to Jesus? Well, it can start with you right now. It can start with you right now to do what I call just the simple transaction with God that means all of eternity. When God's drawing us to himself, he's putting faith in our heart, he's stirring us up, he's, he's, he's pulling you. He's pulling you gently to himself. And some of you, you're there today. You're like, Ed, I get it. I get it now. God's, there's faith in my heart. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and God raised him from the dead and I can be forgiven. I'm ready. What do I do? Just simply connect with God. And we use the word prayer from the Bible, but it just means talk to God. And so this morning, you can talk to God and just three things. God, thanks for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And now come into my life and take my life. Three simple things. Let's bow our heads. I want to give us a moment for those who need to do that right now. Three simple things. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. I believe he died for my sin. I want to receive that. Please forgive me of my sin. And then third, come into my life. I'm going to be quiet for a, a few moments and give you that chance to talk to God in your heart. Amen. If you did that, if that was you today and you've started this life with God, we want to encourage you in that. On that Connect card, there's a place you can check. I started a real relationship with God today. If you'll check that, we want to follow up with you and help you in this great new life that you've begun today. So do that, and we'll get back to you about that. So death and burial, we've talked about so far, the video and the scripture. We've looked at what writers said about what Jesus did. Let's now look at the rest of the story.
Y'all stand, please. Just as Jesus died for you and I, God raised him from the dead. And because God brought him back to life, you and I can have new life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for paying for our sin yourself, for bridging the gap between us yourself, and then offering it to all who would believe. So we just thank you for what you did. We could not save ourselves, but you have provided the way to God through Jesus. And we say thank you today. Lord, I pray this week you would just refresh in all of us an attitude of just amazement and thanks for your amazing gift of your son. Lord, bless these folks, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.